Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. I give a rat's ass about Twitter. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, happy holidays, my friend. We got Christmas rapidly approaching, so we're going to tape a, a midweek episode and then and then get with our families. But uh, happy holidays to you, sir. Absolutely. Should be a great week. Looking forward to a good weekend. Got our first Christmas out of the way this past weekend. My in-laws were in town, and then we'll be with my parents this weekend. So uh, enjoying the holiday season and hoping everyone is staying safe and healthy. Easier said than done in these times. Now, I've been to your house, and there's a lot of orange in there. Don't tell me your in-laws went to OU. Uh, no, my in-laws did not go to OU or OSU, so they they had no affiliation to either school. They have attached themselves to OSU because, obviously, their daughter went to Oklahoma State, and we're huge OSU fans. So my in-laws did not. My parents, however, you think there's a lot of orange at my house. You walk in my mom's house right now, my mom and dad's house, first thing you see as soon as you walk through the front door Big, bright orange Christmas tree. And I don't mean a green Christmas tree with orange decorations on it. No, no, no. I mean the tree itself is made Oklahoma State, America's brightest orange, and it's decorated orange, black, and white. It is phenomenal. Wow. That's that's some next-level OSU fandom there, an orange Christmas tree. I've never heard of such a thing. Where did she, where did she find this thing? She said that she was on, like, Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist or something someday. And somebody had put it on there. They thought that they were going to use it as a thunder tree. But they were OU fans, and they didn't realize just how orange it was until they got it. And then whenever <laughs> they got it, they're like, oh, this is too orange. We, this isn't going to work as a thunder tree because it is too orange. So they put it on there to sell it, and my parents bought it, and it is, it is an orange tree. I'll, I'll get her to send me a picture of it, and I'll post it on Twitter so everybody can see it. It's pretty phenomenal. You absolutely have to. I mean, there's – there's not a more diehard OSU fan that I've ever heard of than, than your mom, Kim. That's, that's, that's unbelievable. So, uh, look, we got a lot to get to tonight, Colby, before we head into the weekend and the holidays. The first is here from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. They got a lot of sweet gear on there, although some of it's not available online. So, if you're in Stillwater, stop by and, and check their availability. They, they got some sweet hats, Colby. I was checking out the hats. They got one of these uh, – kind of retro throwback OSU baseball hats from like the 40s or 50s, but it just has the O. It's like a black hat with just an orange O. Pretty damn sweet. I'm, I'm all for the the interlocking OS or just the straight up O throwback hat. That's a good look, in my opinion. Both of those hats are very strong. I used to not be a big hat wearer. Uh, you know, my hair game's never been real strong, but the older I get and the fewer and further between my hairs get, the more I become a hat guy. So I might have to make my way up to Chris's and get a couple of good ones. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we uh, the older we get, the more <laughs> the more apt we are to throw a cap on our uh, receding hairlines, that's for sure. But uh, we got a lot of football notes to get to, Colby. But first, we haven't talked a lot about basketball yet as we wind down the college football season. But OSU basketball was in a, a marquee matchup against, you know, a Final Four team in Houston. Always interesting to see Kelvin Sampson face off against Oklahoma State. Kind of a hard-fought game, but Oklahoma State ultimately goes down to Houston. Just what were your, some of your takeaways from, from the basketball game? I mean, my takeaways are kind of what the takeaways have been. You just have to find a way to shoot the ball, and I don't know if that's exercising different lineups where you get Bryce Williams, 
Um, man, I don't even know. Keelan Boone, Rondell Walker, Bryce Thompson. Get all those guys on the floor at the same time. Surround those four guys around Musa Cisse in the middle, or you can try to kick it into him. If he gets doubled, he can kick it out to a quote-unquote shooter. It's, it's tough. You know, Oklahoma State – you don't have a guy like a Phil Forte, and that guy is so valuable. Phil Forte, Keaton Page, because the defense just always has to worry about that guy 22-plus feet from the basket. And when you don't really have anybody, I mean, Bryce Williams is scoring the ball at an unbelievable rate. He's playing great basketball. I mean, guys are playing pretty good basketball, just aside from getting some three-point shots to fall. I mean, they played Houston tough on uh, on Saturday. It was my in-laws were here. We were watching football. We were playing cards. I had the basketball game on my phone. So I'm looking at like three different things at once. I'm watching the basketball game and you know, they're down three, they're down six. They cut it to three again, up to eight, down to four. They were right there with Houston, who's a good top 15 team pretty much all night. The only difference is Houston went 11 of 25 from three and Oklahoma State goes three of 19. I know it's really easy for me to sit here and just say, make some three pointers, but I think more so than anything more so than this season, because we, we kind of know what this season is. It's a chance for some young guys to develop and find themselves and figure out what this is going to be as a team. But in the future, there just have to be more outright shooters on the roster. Even if that means you go and find a guy that maybe wasn't mega highly recruited like a Keaton page or a Phil Forte, somebody who's smaller, but can absolutely light it up from long distance because it just kills your entire offense. The spacing is a disaster. Um, you know, it's just not working offensively right now. And I think it really all comes down to the inability to shoot the three-pointer. But even more so than that, the inability to make the defense respect you from outside the arc, which allows them to just condense the lane. No defensive three-second in college basketball. So it's a problem, Carson. And look, Oklahoma State is a good enough team that at some point this season, they're going to pull off a big upset because there's going to be a night where those shots do fall, but on the nights where they don't, this team's going to struggle. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of my main takeaway from really the whole year and including that Houston game is it feels to me, Colby, like I'm watching the Oklahoma city thunder circa 2016, 15, 13 throughout their, their glory heydays. And that's kind of what Mike Boynton's recruited. You know, he, he inherited Thomas DeZagua, who was a three-point specialist. But past that, he recruits size, length, athleticism, and defensive prowess, which is the Sam Presti book. That's the Sam Presti model. And they run into the same exact problems that you mentioned with the three-point shooting. I, I do wonder if Mike Boynton will tweak his recruiting moving forward, just considering how bad they've been, not just this year, you know, other than Cade Cunningham and Thomas DeZagua, you're going to have a hard time convincing me of someone that that Mike Boyden has pure, unadulterated confidence in hitting a three-point shot. So that, you're right. I, I do think he might need to start adjusting his – maybe – and I, look, I'm not advocating for not going after five stars and four stars, but just overall on the roster as a whole, the way college basketball is trending towards the NBA style of game, they have to recruit more shooting. Because you're right, Colby, they, they just can't – they were in this game. It was really an admirable performance. They cut it to six uh, late in that game, but they, they just can't shoot. And teams have learned that in spades with the film they've had on them this year and even dating back to last year. You know, other than Cade and, and Thomas DeZogba, Colby, they, they haven't been able to hit an outside shot. And that's something I think Mike Boyden has to start addressing. Yeah, and that's I don't think people – Took that into account enough with losing Cade. You're you're losing the clutch gene that Cade, Cade had last year where inside five minutes, I mean, it was just give it to Cade and get out of the way and let him go win the game. And he did a bunch. He did a whole lot of winning uh, in those last five minutes. 
Cade was a pretty darn good three-point shooter, and teams had to respect that, and he could create on his own. And, you know, Dezogwa was another one that I forgot about. And, and like I mentioned, it's not even just the fact that you come up the court, you pass it around, you know, a guy lets a three go and misses, you come up empty on that possession. It's not that one possession I'm worried about where you have that miss. It's every possession that you don't attempt a three that everything else is so much more difficult because the defense doesn't have to respect it. Now you've got five guys defending your, your entire team from 15 feet and in. That is congested, man. That makes it hard to get good looks. That makes it hard to do much of anything. So it's a problem. I know Coach Boynton knows it's a problem. I know the team knows it's a problem. I know they're working on it. I know those guys are working hard in the gym on their shots, the guys who are supposed to be shooters uh, and need to get it done from outside. And I know the coaches are doing what they can do. But at a certain point, if you're not a shooter, you're not a shooter. Get in the gym and work on it. Get as good at it as you can. And like I said, this team's good enough that on the nights when some of those shots fall, they can pull off some upsets. But there's going to be a lot of nights like the one on Saturday where it's three for 19. And, yeah, that was a good Houston team. But you walk out of there with a double-digit loss, there's going to be some of those this season. Fans are going to have to be patient because that's, that's kind of just the way this roster's built. Yeah, and we, we knew they would miss the number one overall pick in the draft, and we knew we'd, they'd miss his creativity and his, his scoring ability. But you're right, Colby. He, Kate Cunningham shot 40% from three on nearly six attempts per game. And that's just – that generates so much more space that they just simply do not have. And that's, that's a problem. I mean, the, the game against top 10 USC was canceled due to the COVID numbers from USC's team. And that kind of takes another – game off the gauntlet they're running through their upcoming schedule was against 10th ranked usc that's off the table at texas tech who's ranked 25th kansas at home ranked seventh texas at home ranked 17th at west virginia at number one ranked baylor i mean colby you want to talk about a murderer's row i mean they're gonna have to hit some threes and we're just talking about how they're not gonna be they're not that capable as a roster but they're gonna have to find us some shooting stroke if they're gonna compete in any of those games yeah, I, again, I think that they'll pull off an upset in one of those games. Just That's how college basketball is. We see it all the time. There will be a night where their shots fall and the other team doesn't. But for the most part, the Big 12 is just going to be brutal, Carson. It, it's not just this, this stretch. It's the entire conference slate. Even whenever you get to some of the weaker teams in the conference, you're not getting any easy wins in the Big 12. I saw some of the metrics earlier today on the conferences and how they shake out and RPI and all those different things. And the Big 12 is so far heads and tails above any other conference in college basketball. It's just going to be twice a week. If you don't play your absolute best basketball, you're not walking off the court with a win that night. And this stretch is kind of the start of it. And I'll, I'll be curious to see how they fare against Baylor and Kansas and West Virginia, Texas, Texas Tech. I mean, all these schools, Oklahoma even has played some pretty good basketball at times this season. What they did to Arkansas a couple of Saturdays ago was really impressive. So I, I'm curious to see how Oklahoma State looks against those teams. Because for me, Carson, and I don't know if you're the same way, Christmas is kind of when I flip from being an only football guy to a football and basketball guy. For whatever reason, Christmas is that for me. So I'll start to pay a lot more attention and watch a lot more games as we get past Christmas and get into conference play. And I'm looking forward to seeing how they fare against some of the better teams in the conference, which just so happen to be some of the better teams in the country. Uh, I'm with you. That's usually when I start trending more that direction too. I, I will say I, I love the uniforms. I mean, give me the 95 throwbacks any day of the week. And they kind of updated them too. They had the brand on the on the shorts. They've kind of done away with that old O State logo that they had on the uh, the '95 uniforms. So they they look good, but uh, man, a gauntlet coming up for OSU basketball. Uh, let's transition to football. Colby, the Fiesta Bowl 
next week, uh, next weekend rather. And uh, Mike Gundy had a press conference, talked about a lot of things. But before we get into what Mike had to say, tell me if you agree with this. I, I, I think this is the biggest game for Oklahoma State football since the 2011 Fiesta Bowl. Obviously, it's the same caliber of bowl game. That's not essentially what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at, this is a huge game for Oklahoma State to earn some respect nationally for how they are viewed nationally. Next time they come up in these college football playoff debates, this game, it, it may not matter in terms of their resume that given year, but people are naturally going to remember, oh, shoot, they, they played Notre Dame and got beat. But if they if they stand up and beat Notre Dame, I think more people will take Oklahoma State seriously because that's something they've battled all year long. And look no further than the national awards, the, the lack of respect that Jim Knowles got, that Malcolm Rodriguez got, that Mike Gundy got for Coach of the Year. I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with me, Colby. I think this is a massive game just for the national perspective of Oklahoma State. Yeah, I do. And as, and as much as we talk about how much bowl games have, have deteriorated and stuff like that, and they kind of have to an extent with the playoff, it doesn't mean, you know, a bowl game doesn't mean what it meant whenever I was growing up, whenever you were growing up. But some of these bigger ones, these New Year's Six Bowls, these still draw a lot of eyes and people still base perceptions off of what happens in bowl season. We're looking at a team right now in Cincinnati, Carson, the Cincinnati Bearcats, who coming out of the group of five, we all know it has to be the perfect storm in order for a group of five team to make it in. And part of that perfect storm was that Cincinnati just so happened to play Georgia last year in the playoff. And they really gave them a run for their money. Oklahoma state in this bowl game will be in front of a lot of eyes. It's going to be new year. Year's Day at noon. Carson, what does everyone do on New Year's Eve? They go out, they do some drinking, they have some fun, they roll in about one or two o'clock, they go to sleep, they're exhausted, they sleep till 11 the next day. And then what does everybody do? They get up, they turn on their TVs. Oh, it's noon. Here comes the Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame. Like you said, there will be a lot of eyes on this game. I do think it's a big game for Oklahoma State, uh, e even though it's an exhibition and some guys won't be playing, especially on the Notre Dame side, some, some NFL guys. Uh, I still think that this is a big game for, for national perception. We've talked all season about the helmet logo metric, and this is another chance for Oklahoma State to take one baby step up that ladder. Yep, totally agree. Uh, again, I mentioned Mike Gundy had a press conference, and one of the more interesting things I just I was reading through it was he was asked about the defensive responsibilities now that they're not going to have Jim Knowles. This quote was fascinating to me. Mike Gundy says, I've essentially switched from offense to defense. I haven't watched offense at all live, and I've, got, I've done defense every day, and I'm very pleased. I don't even think the players have noticed Jim Knowles not being here the way we've divided up responsibilities, and I think they're practicing well. How good a defensive coordinator do you think Mike Gundy is? That's a great question. I don't know. Is he sitting over on the uh, cart drawing up plays for the defense <laughs> like he was back in Missouri? Because yeah, that, the equipment oh, trunk. Yes, I remember those yeah. days. I mean, that's one of my favorite Mike Gundy moments of all times is, is sitting on the equipment trunk drawing up plays in the fourth quarter against Missouri. That was a really interesting quote. Uh, I, I do think probably that the players have noticed that Jim Knowles isn't there, um, but it's it's next man up. For players, it's next man up for coaches, too. You just kind of get after it. You do what you can to make sure everybody's ready for the bowl game. Obviously, it's very different without having your defensive coordinator there. But, uh, you know, Coy McFarland has been doing a good job coaching up the linebackers, Joe Bob Clements, Tim Duffy, all these guys. I'm sure they're doing what needs to be done. And 
I, I don't know about you, Carson, but I just don't worry about that defense being ready to go on January 1st. There's so many veterans on that side of the ball, and it's such a good unit. Yes, Jim Knowles was a big, big piece. But if you're telling me all the same personnel are running out there against Notre Dame, I have a hard time imagining that they just fall flat on their face. Yeah, Mike Gundy even joked about uh, someone posed the question about Malcolm Rodriguez calling plays from the field. And Gundy kind of compared it to Joe Namath calling his own plays. That's that's kind of where they're at in terms of these veteran players. But he mentioned Joe Bob Clement's been there 10, 11 years. Uh, Dan Hammerschmidt, six or seven. Uh, Duffy's been there eight or nine. So they, they're a veteran staff on top of – you know, veteran players. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried at all about the defense. I am a little worried about the offense. Jalen Warren is practicing Mike Gundy. And again, I, I kind of mentioned this when we talked about Jalen Warren's status after the, the game against Baylor. I don't like this quote at all. I, I've covered Mike for a long time. This tells me Jalen, Jalen Warren is still very much hurt and doubtful for the game or not doubtful, but I question for the game. He says, Jalen will be fine. I mean, they're not letting him practice much of the other guys, but he's doing fine. End of quote. That that sounds a lot to me like when Kendall Hunter was was doing fine and 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 about ready to play every single week and was out most of the entire year. That that's just my cryptic reading of of Mike Gundy quotes over the years. I'm a little worried about Jalen Warren's status. Yeah, from the time that Mike Gundy made that quote at his press conference to the time that the Fiesta Bowl is played, it'll be 12 days. So how much does Jalen Warren improve in 12 days? I don't know. I mean, a sprained ankle, 12 days can do a lot for a sprained ankle. I think Jalen wants to play in that game. I think if he didn't, he already would have opted out. Uh, some of the stuff on, on Twitter, on Instagram, pictures and stuff. Uh, seems like he wants to play in that game and be out there with his team one more time in what will be a big game for Oklahoma State. Um, I don't My gut says that he plays, but it's not a 25-touch kind of game. My, my, my gut says that he plays and touches the ball 10 to 15 times. And honestly, 10 to 15 of Jalen Warren is 10 to 15 on the good side. So you'll take him for whatever you can get him. Yeah, I will have to wait and see, but I don't like the way that sounds. But again, I, and I think he was dealing more than just the ankle. He had that sternum kind of injury that every time he ran the ball against Tech, he kind of laid down for an extra few seconds. Same with OU. So hopefully he's ready to go because he just, we all know he makes such a massive difference. And a big talking point too was COVID. Obviously the, the numbers are, or spiking and Colby, we kind of, we pretty much made it through college football through COVID, but it, it appears it's, it's becoming a bigger issue in other sports besides college football. So I just hope they're, they're COVID free going into this game, but that that's certainly a concern as well. Mike Gundy touched on a lot about that. Yeah. We saw a bowl game canceled the other day. I can't remember which one it is. There's 80 of them, but we saw one canceled <laughs> the other day because of COVID the Omicron variant, I think is how you pronounce it does not care about our sports, uh, does not care about the NFL. It is Tuesday night, Carson, at 8 o'clock, and I am sitting here watching an NFL football game, two NFL games on on a Tuesday night for the first time in almost 70 years, I think, is what they said earlier. It's just it's weird times that we're living in. It's different times. I hope everyone's being safe. I hope everyone's being healthy. Um, yeah, it's tough. I, I hope, and, and, you know, guys are going to go see their families for Christmas. They're going to go through testing. I don't know. I am a little bit worried about some of the bowl games that come after Christmas whenever guys are going to be around so many people. But, I mean, all we can do kind of right now is wait, see, and hope. Yep, that's that's really all we can do. And I think OSU's done a pretty good job over the last, you know, two years really with, with COVID and, and keeping the numbers down. So I'm not terribly concerned, even though it is becoming a, a big concern for, for other sports. But 
OSU uh, loses two guys to the transfer portal. Now they can come back, but Desmond Jackson, uh, the running back who, you know, of course, fell just short against, on the goal line against Baylor, is entered the transfer portal. As has Jaden Jernigan, a bit of a surprise, a big contributor on the defensive line. So OSU ha- does have two guys in the transfer portal, Colby. And for me, I get the Des Jackson one. Like, he was third string this year, clearly behind Do- Dominic Richardson in the pecking order, uh, goal line series notwithstanding against Baylor. And, uh, again, they've, they've recruited – really well on the running back position. We, we mentioned on the last recruiting show that the two absolute studs that are coming in, uh, Dominic Richardson's back as well. So it's kind of a crowded uh, backfield for Des Jackson. Yeah, it is. And they're just, there aren't enough carries to go around. Desmond Jackson had a nice career at Oklahoma State. He was always a fill-in whenever somebody went down. When Chuba went down, he filled in nicely. We all remember the big game that he had at Texas Tech a couple of years ago. It's just, it, it's, it was nice to see him have some success success yes the last play of his career was the one in the big 12 championship game he did all he could to get in he didn't get in that's football that's part of it uh i hope the oklahoma state fan base has nothing but love for desmond jackson as he moves on and i hope he goes somewhere and has a ton of success i I hope to see him popping up on highlights next year it's very similar to jelani woods they're just you know you're not getting what you need in one place Go to another place and try to make it work. It worked out for Jelani Woods at Virginia. I'll be curious to see where Desmond Jackson winds up, and I hope it works out for him. Don't get me started on Jelani. What are you trying to do to me here? I was just trying to get you going one last time here in the year. Uh, I'm accepting all apologies for everyone who said he was a stiff and couldn't catch a football. I mean, uh, don't get me started. I wonder where he's going to be drafted. I hope he goes to a good situation because he could be a good, good player in the NFL in the right spot. Oh, I think he's going to play in the league for a while. But, yeah, that, that totally matters where you go. But just the size, with his size and his athletic ability, I think he's going to play in the league for a while. So, I just saw the other night. Did you know Mercedes Lewis has been in the NFL for 16 years? Mercedes Lewis has been in the NFL since I was a kid. I remember, I mean, when I was young playing fantasy football, Mercedes Lewis was on the rosters. And – He's still on the run. It's incredible. It really is incredible. Shout out to Mercedes Lewis. That is the random name that nobody expected us to talk about tonight on the pod. Caught a pass the other night for the Packers and Joe Buck's like his 16th season in the NFL. I'm like, are you kidding me? But the reason I bring him up, he's six foot six, very similar build to Jelani Woods. Now I'm not sitting here saying Jelani is going to play 16 years. That's to me, that's a good comp and, and a reason I think he'll stick in the league for for quite some time. He's a good blocker as well. So uh, that's enough Jelani talk. Don't get me started on that. But were you surprised about Jaden Jernigan? I I sure was. Yeah, I was. I I thought that he was getting some run. I thought he was a good member of that defense, and I thought that he had a chance uh, to continue to rise up. But, you know, I'm not going to judge guys for making decisions. They feel are best for them. Obviously, he thinks that there's something out there that's better for him in his career, and I don't blame guys for doing what they think is best for them. Now, he has three years of eligibility remaining. Maybe he, maybe he loved Jim Knowles. I mean, seriously, maybe he just loved Jim Knowles and he, he's unsure about who's going to be the guy at Oklahoma State and he just wants to keep his options open. He always has the option to return to Oklahoma State, maybe once a, a defensive coordinator is named. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how long he sits in the portal because if he's still there in two weeks, then I think maybe there's more of a chance that he comes back to Oklahoma State. If, if he's out of the portal by next week, uh, then I think maybe he's found himself a home and maybe he already has his eyes set on somewhere that he wants to be. But the portal's a two-way street. He can still come back to Oklahoma State if he wants to. If not, I hope he finds a position where he gets everything that he's looking for. 
Yeah, that's kind of the word out there. I think Jacob Unruh or someone that covers Oklahoma State was tweeting about he's he definitely is keeping that option available to come back to Oklahoma State. So that's that's kind of the beauty and the curse of the portal is you can you can test the waters and, and still come back. So we'll have to wait and see on that. But OSU hasn't had too many uh, high profile defections to the transfer portal other than the aforementioned uh, Jelani Woods, who some would have argued wasn't uh, that prominent. But a bit, a bit of other news I found really interesting, Colby, because this is a guy that I've always kind of had circled as a guy that could potentially be the next head coach at Oklahoma State, and that's Josh Henson, the uh, well-respected offensive line coach at Texas A&M. He's joining Lincoln Riley at USC, leaving Texas A&M, where they're just rolling and recruiting. Uh, Henson was the offensive line coach at Oklahoma State for three years, and A&M's offensive line in 2020 was so dominant it became the first offensive line in 10 years to lead the SEC in sacks allowed, tackles for loss allowed, and yards per carry in the same season. So Josh Henson continues to elevate his career. I would question going out to USC with Lincoln Riley, but, you know, working for Jimbo Fisher is kind of t- it's pretty tough. He's, he's from the Saban tree, and so maybe he was just tired of dealing with Jimbo. But that, to me, Colby, is a guy that I think we, people need to keep circled in case – or for when Mike Gundy does eventually retire. Yeah, and I think that this is a big upgrade in title for Josh Henson. I don't think that he's going to be calling plays, but he's going to be the offensive coordinator for Lincoln Riley and USC. And he might have some input, but I can't imagine Lincoln Riley handing over the keys to his offense. But Josh Henson and Oklahoma State, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't work. Uh, there were injuries on the line. Just the depth on the depth chart for offensive line. You lose a guy, there wasn't that there. You go down to Texas A&M. I mean, they're recruiting at an incredibly high level, especially in the trenches. And he did a great job down there. I'm very curious to see how it works at USC. Number one, what the dynamic is between he and Lincoln Riley. And number two, what kind of recruits are they getting on that side of the ball? Are, are they getting mammoth six foot five, 330 pound guys who are all going to be first and second rounders going into the league? Because that's what Texas A&M has been getting on the offensive line. So I'll be curious to see how that works out. And yes, I do think he's a name to watch for down the line. Uh, I don't know. I mean, depending on how things go at USC, his, his stock might even be getting a little bit too high. So we'll just have to watch and see how it plays out. Yeah, I, he, he is not calling plays for Lincoln Riley. That, that I can guarantee you. But it is interesting. He was starting to recruit pretty well at Oklahoma State, and there's been some speculation that perhaps him and Gundy didn't get along. That's why he left. I don't. I can't confirm that. I have not heard that. But it leads you to wonder because that seemed like a perfect fit, being an OSU guy, a guy that would stick around for a while and I thought was doing a really good job at OSU. And when Henson left, they had a few guys transfer. So that, that kind of hurt the offensive line for – for a year or two as well. So keep an eye on Josh Henson, kind of a rising star in the, in the coaching world and a OSU alum. Colby, did you ever think we would be talking about an, an Ohio State blog coming after Mike Gundy? Those are two paths that haven't crossed very much, Oklahoma State and Ohio State. I was at the Alamo Bowl when Ted Ginn ran for like 500 yards against Oklahoma State. That's my only experience with the Buckeyes. But uh, an Ohio State blog is pretty upset at Gundy for, I guess, this quote, Colby. It doesn't make much sense to me. The quote's from Mike Gundy, and they, they quote a pistol's firing for it. It says, uh, quote, consistency is the most important thing in building a big-time college football program, in my opinion. Now, I've never been at some of these schools where people say you wake up on third base and you think you hit a triple. I've never been there, so I don't know what it's like to coach at a school like that. Coach Knowles will know. 
and I guess they they took offense to that, saying that they compared it to I guess a, a Jim Harbaugh quote. I don't know. They 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 took that as a shot at Ohio State. Did you? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I I kind of took it as a joke. I guess. You kind of have to know Mike Gundy's humor. There's some context there that gets lost whenever you just type that quote out. I, I get it. They took Jim Knowles. You know, Mike Gundy took Jim Knowles from somewhere. Duke was probably mad when Mike Gundy took Jim Knowles from them. I don't know. They might not even care about football. It's, uh, they, they clearly don't care about football down there at Duke. That's not my point whatsoever. My point is, yes, Ohio State was born on third base, thinks they hit a triple. That part is true. It's also true that Mike Gundy – has seemed a little salty about Jim Knowles heading up to Buckeye country. And yes, Oklahoma state did have to poach Jim Knowles from somewhere to get him to Stillwater. But I, I thought this whole thing from this Ohio state, uh, what is it? Fan sided or, or whatever this is. I thought it kind of uh, rang hollow to me as their next story, Carson, I kid you not on this story at the bottom. It says next urban Myers apology rings hollow. So, we are now on an Ohio State football site talking about Mike Gundy's hypocrisy. Urban Meyer was at one point the coach at Ohio State. Urban Meyer covered up for Zach Smith with a domestic violence case. The whole thing just is so weird and odd. It's off-season content is what it is. Clearly, they just needed something to post on the internet. And they were like, gee, where can we go for this? Oh, here we go. Mike Gundy, the guy with the mullet down in Oklahoma. He said something about us being silver spooners. Let's go after him. Okay, congratulations on your off-season content. You needed to put something on your website. I guess you accomplished what you accomplished. But you'll have to excuse me if I'm just going to roll my eyes whenever Ohio State people talk about a coach being a hypocrite. Yeah, like, <laughs> I guess they took it as a shot at Ryan Day for taking over a ready-made program. And then which they he did. Which he did. Yeah, kind of like Lincoln Riley at, at Oklahoma for going that direction. But they, they tried to compare it to – Gundy is acting like he took over a program in shambles in 2005. The Cowboys had gone 8-5, and 9-4, and four, and 7-5 and five the previous three seasons. The cupboard was hardly empty when he got to Oklahoma State. But Gundy proceeded to lose 19 games his first three years after taking over. His comments directed at Day were petty, but this is what we've come to expect from Gundy. What this – this moron at this blog doesn't understand is Mike Gundy had to run off about half the roster under Les Miles because he was running roughshod with some of the the character issues that were going on at Oklahoma State at the time. Gundy had to completely gut his roster, so they they clearly have no idea what they're talking about. I just that was kind of funny. And anytime Oklahoma State can can ruffle the feathers of a blue blood, I'm all for it. So I, I thought that was good. The cupboard might not have been empty when Mike Gundy took over. But he damn sure emptied it, Carson. It was emptied after he took over. There wasn't anything left. And then they started from scratch and built what they built, which is a very respectable program, one of the top really probably 15 in the country over the last 10 to 12 years. So, you know, if Ohio State fans want to be upset because somebody called them Silver Spooners, that's fine. That's, you know, Blue Bloods all are Silver Spooners. Ryan Day took over a ready-made program. When Nick Saban retires, guess what? Whoever comes after Nick Saban is taking over a ready-made program. Brent Venables down in Norman is taking over a ready-made program. He just became the head coach 10 days ago. They've already got top 10 recruiting classes the next couple of seasons. That's what it means to be born on third and think you hit a triple. That's what it means to be a silver spoon college football program. It, it's fine. It's okay. You can acknowledge that and still root for Ohio State. The whole thing just seems very weird, um, you know. 
Well, whatever. I'm not worried about what they're saying on Ohio State fan pages, but they just seem to be needing content as we approach Christmas, I'll say. Well, just for uh, objectivity's sake, the cupboard wasn't entirely bare. Mike Gundy did keep around a guy named Prentice Elliott, who he said was the most talented guy with a football in his hands since Barry Sanders. So Gundy, Gundy didn't run off everybody in trying to win games. So that's right. just that's just for pure objectivity uh, standpoint. Uh, one last thing before we get out of here, Colby. I, I loved this. Oklahoma State's Twitter account and uh, Instagram accounts running a uh, helmet poll. And Curse of Cowboys is absolutely dominating the poll so far. It's just the first round of the poll, but it appears, Colby, that Curse of Cowboys is here to stay because I think I've seen a lot of the Fiesta Bowl promotional materials has the black Curse of Cowboys helmet on it as well. Uh, Tom Hutton was pictured at doing doing some media wearing the white jersey with the patch on it, the orange pants. I got to think they're going to go black Curse of Cowboys with that look, which is just straight-up phenomenal. I love black, white, orange on the road, but were you surprised at all that the uh, Curse of Cowboys was just running roughshod over this poll? Not really, man. People have been going crazy for these helmets all year. Every single helmet in this poll, they ran, I think, four different ones. They all have at least 1,200 votes on them. I went in and voted on every one. Orange script beat the Shadow Pete in black 80-20. The black script beat the original whites 85-15. to The white script beat the Shadow Pete on white, which is another great helmet, beat it 80-20. to And then uh, 60-40 was the old school throwback over the full color Pete on the white helmet. The old school throwback was just the single orange stripe going down the middle with just the white numbers on the side, which I thought was another phenomenal helmet from the season. But everyone has just lost their minds over these black script helmets. And it is because they are so just beyond elite best. I mean, they are the goat helmet and it it needs to almost become the default. And then you have alternates. Every other helmet is an alternate that you rotate through. And that black script is your default because that helmet has been uh, turning the heads of some Oklahoma state fans. Yeah. See, I still ride for the brand. Uh, my dad, give me the brand. He loves the brand. Um, I still ride for that. But what I think this poll further proves to me and further backs up my opinion I've always had is that we all love Pistol Pete. Kids might be afraid of him. I was a little afraid of him when I was really young, going to old Gallagher Iba. I just, we all love Pistol Pete. I just, I don't, I love swinging Pete. Give me all the Pete's on some other materials. But just in terms of a helmet logo, I just, I, I've never liked scary I call it Scary Pete, a.k.a. Shadow Pete. I don't like Big Pete. I certainly didn't like Little Bo Pete, the first Pete we saw for a while. Uh, To me, this kind of backs up, Colby, how I felt, that I don't think Pistol Pete belongs on the helmet. What do you think about Pete on the helmet? I'm okay with the Pete on the helmet occasionally, but, I mean, it's clearly not anyone's favorite helmet. It's not what everybody's voting for. I don't like the massive oversized peat that takes up so much of the helmet that you you have to rotate the helmet to see all of the peat. That one I'm not crazy about. Some of the smaller ones, the the peat with color on the white helmet is good. There's some other ones that are good, but it's just you wear those sometimes, but in comparison to the script, they fall flat. And I think that these Twitter polls more than prove that. Yep. And uh, apparently... It's been brought to my attention. Uh, the Marshall badge is is no more. They're they're phasing it out, which I I was kind of bummed about. It kind of grew on me. I think it's a good take on you know the 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 name Cowboys is really a great nickname. That's why I love the script is because it shows off you know a, a great nickname. And I, I thought the 
badge was kind of a good alternate take of like the Dallas Cowboys helmet. It's got the star on it, but it's more of a the Marshall badge than it is just a ripoff of the Dallas Cowboys star. So I was kind of sad to hear that. Did you like, did you like the badge at all? Uh, I was okay with the badge. I wasn't crazy about the badge. It was, I mean, it, it kind of sounds like I'm fence sitting, but I was very much indifferent on the badge. It, I, I wasn't super hyped whenever we got it and I won't be super sad to see it go. It just one of those things that uh, stuck around for a while and, Honestly, I, I probably won't miss it too much. So, no, I, I guess I wasn't crazy about it. <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, I guess uh, I, I talked my way from indifferent to, no, not my favorite. Well, as long as they don't bring back the Ed Hardy helmet that had the badge on it, I'm oh. good with that. I mean, as long as they don't try to put Curse of Cowboys on the, the Ed Hardy helmet, I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. So, uh, one last question for you before we get out of here. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? you're really going to put me on the spot right here. So my wife and I were having this conversation in the car the other day because I asked her, you know, we were talking about a movie to watch or something. I'm like, have you, I'm like, you want to watch Die Hard? And she's like, is it good? Like, have you not seen Die Hard? So started talking about it a little bit because she was wanting to watch a Christmas movie. So then now I'm now in the point where I'm making the argument that it is in fact a Christmas movie so that I can try to get my wife to watch it. We haven't watched it yet. We still plan to. So I'm going to have to go, yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. What say you? I say yes. And I, I mostly say that just to trigger people because people get so upset when I say that, that I'm just, I'm just willing to die on that hill. But, I mean, you, movies like uh, Home Alone, which is unquestionably a Christmas movie, it's a movie set during Christmas. It's not about Christmas. Die Hard is a movie set during Christmas. That's not about Christmas. But one of the most iconic lines of the movie is, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> there's Christmas music. I think there's a legitimate argument. Now, am I just 1,000% convinced? No. And I mostly do it just to trigger people. But I, I say yes. I, I, I go die hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah, I think I would lean that way as well. So y'all can let us know what you think. But I, I don't know that we're coming off of our opinions here. Well, Colby, again, it's been a fantastic year having you on the pod. Uh, we're entering Christmas and then the new year, but we'll get back with you next week and break down the uh, the game against Notre Dame. We might have to have our boy Caden McFarlane on the podcast. He's a huge, huge Notre Dame fan, and I know he's got a lot of pride riding on this game and a lot of Big 12 takes to take back when, when and if Oklahoma State wins this game. But enjoy your Christmas, and uh, we'll get back with you after the holidays, man. Really enjoyed having you on the show this year. Absolutely. It's been a blast. And uh, Caden was posting some stats earlier today about Notre Dame's defense and how Spencer Sanders has fared against highly ranked defenses uh -oh. in his career. We'll, we'll dive into that and much more next week. Looking forward to previewing the Fiesta Bowl. Everyone have a great Christmas weekend. Have fun celebrating. Be safe. Be healthy. Uh, and everybody enjoy. As always, go Pokes. <laughs>